Welcome to the Six Figure Product Biz Podcast. I'm Carrie, a product-based business coach. I started, scaled, and sold a successful multi-six-figure e-commerce business, and now I love teaching entrepreneurs like you how to start, grow, and scale your dream product business. I'm obsessed with all things marketing, e-commerce, and business, and I cannot wait to share all my secrets with you. I also love all things dogs and coffee. Each week, you'll learn step-by-step tangible strategies to help you scale to the next level in your business, skyrocket your sales and traffic, reach more customers, and gain greater visibility in your business. Because I know you don't want to waste your time or energy trying to figure it out all on your own, but you want the business growth roadmap so you can create a profitable product business that gives you the life you love. Whether you're thinking of starting a product biz or scaling yours, this podcast is the secret sauce to making all those dreams come true. So grab your coffee and your favorite notepad and let's get started. What's up, my friends? Welcome to this week's episode of the Six Figure Product Business Podcast. Today is a fun episode because we're talking all things tea and that is a first for this podcast. (laughs) Um, And something super fun about this episode is the founder, Jenny Zha of Sipping Streams Tea Company, She's from Alaska, and while this episode is being recorded months in advance, it's actually airing the week that I am in Alaska hanging out with grizzly bears. So right as you're listening to this, I am literally in Alaska hanging out with grizzly bears in the middle of nowhere. So I can't wait to come back for my trip and tell you how fun it was. But also, I thought this was fun to have the episode of the tea company in Alaska during the same time. So let's dive into it. In this episode, we're diving into how Jenny built a million-dollar tea business and all the things that she did to get started with the business, why she started it, what did she do to get some traction in her business. And in particular, we talk about the one thing she did to get her brand featured in a major food retailer and many, many things in between that. So this episode is super fun, super just we talk a lot of interesting things. And I think you're absolutely going to love this episode. Jenny was super fun, super smart, and just shared a lot of cool tips and tricks on how she started this super fun food company. So let's dive into it. Grab your coffee or your tea and let's dive into it. Hello, Jenny. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm really excited to chat with you. Thanks for having me today. Yay. So we're going to dive into your amazing business and all the cool things that um, you have done with your business. But I would love for you just to introduce yourself and just tell everyone um, who you are and just a little bit about your business. Yes, my name is Jenny Jett, and I'm the owner and founder of Sipping Streams Tea Company in Fairbanks, Alaska. We are not just a tea house where people can come and get food and drinks, but we're also a store and we're a manufacturer. So we also sell online and we actually specialize in tea education. So we have a tea education component part of our business, a separate branch, which helps people become certified tea specialists around the world. Interesting. And we were just chatting uh, before we started recording. And um, I know for a lot of my listeners, you guys know my love for Alaska because I went twice last year and I'm going again in August to hang out with bears. Um, But we, me and my husband and my son went to Fairbanks in uh, June and we think that my husband may have tried Jenny's tea um, while we were there. So I thought that was kind of fun and interesting. 
Um, the universe, I guess, wanted this connection to happen. But yeah, I'm excited to talk about your business. And I know you've built a very, very successful business, you know, seven figure or I believe multi seven figure business. I would love to talk about how that started, like the history of your business, because I know right now your business is what it is, but it maybe wasn't always like that. And I feel like a lot of people hear about businesses like yours and they're like, oh, I want to have a business like that. But like they forget that your business was not an overnight success. I'm just making assumptions here. Maybe your business was. I don't know. We're going to hear about it. But like we we hear about like, oh, like the Glossiers and all these companies that, you know, do so well, but it doesn't it doesn't just happen overnight. It takes time and it takes, you know, investing in programs and coaches and mentors and making mistakes and wasting money and learning. So I really, really love to kind of go back to the beginning. So you have this business, you have, you know, your tea shop, you're, you do a lot in manufacturing, you're an educator, you're doing a lot of different things. Um, take us back to the beginning. Like, when did you start this business? What did the early days look like for you? And we can kind of just go from there. Yeah, so it's very interesting that you say that because most people assume like, oh my goodness, they're so successful. It's like they came out of nowhere. But even Damon John from Shark Tank, from FUBU, he said it's 15 years in the making. And yeah. I just hit 16-year anniversary last month. Wow. So all the things I do now were not what I started off with, mm-hmm. nor did I intend for them to be like that. So I own a tea company and we've won 11 international awards for our teas. So in the very beginning, I started winning international awards, which was just crazy to me because I actually grew up as a coffee drinker. Like I like black coffee, like just straight up black coffee. Mm. And people think I don't drink coffee, but I've been drinking coffee since I was four, like four and a half. Four? Yeah. (laughs) I I like the taste of coffee, just straight, nothing in it. And people are just like, black coffee? And I'm like, yeah, just straight black coffee. And so, um, and, and my grandmother, so I was also born in Hong Kong. And when my grandmother would come and visit us in Alaska, she'd bring C's candy and it was the coffee candy. And I remember as a kid, like picking mm-hmm. the lock, like somehow I learned how to pick the lock in the cabinet to steal the candy out. <laughs> but oh I really like coffee, like the flavor of coffee. So I didn't start drinking coffee. And so my last year of college and I was a double major in athletic training. So that's sports medicine for those of you who don't know what athletic training is and physical education K through 12. So I was going to become a certified T, um, a, like not a T specialist, uh, sorry, a certified teacher for Mm -hmm. K through 12 in PE specifically, but I had a very extensive math and science, you know, physics background with my sports medicine. When I came back to um, Fairbanks, I was drinking tea because my last year of college, my drink cost $5.28 every day at the coffee shop. And I was like, okay, I need to cut back on. And back then that was like a whole meal. You could buy like eating out at 528, you know, before this crazy inflation. So I'm like, okay, I got to pay my student loans back. What's the cheapest thing on the menu? Oh, tea. Okay. I'll just drink tea. And I'm Chinese, right? So my friends in Idaho, I went to Boise State University and they're like, oh, do you drink tea? Cause you're a trainer. Oh, I heard it's healthy for you. Oh, I heard it cures cancer. Um, are you drinking tea because you're Chinese? And yeah, it kind of sounds racist, but these are my close friends. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I don't know. I'm like, you've known me for five years. Like, 
have I ever drank tea in the last five years you've known me? Like, I yeah. I literally just started drinking tea. And they thought it was just this thing. They're like, oh, that's so fascinating. What, what are all these like health benefits of tea? And I'm like, I don't know. It's the cheapest thing on the menu. I don't care mm-hmm. about the health benefits. I care about having to pay my student loans back. So being a curious educator, right? Because I'm going into education. We have this kind of personality trait where we want to know everything so we can teach people or tell people or explain to people. So while I was in the library and I'd be looking up different taping and wrapping techniques, electrode techniques, stimulation or whatever for rehab, I would actually come across some case study research on tea. So I'd read the whole thing, the article. I'm like, hmm, how fascinating. I don't know anything about tea. Now I can tell somebody, you know, what I learned about this specific case study on, you know, 40-year-old men in Norway, you know, because it was specifically on that. I don't know what else there is Mm -hmm. about tea, but this is actual hard, you know, research science on this. So that's just kind of where it started. And when I went into physical therapy, coming back to Alaska, I, I was the head athletic trainer for a high school. So I handled all the athletes and their injuries and their nutrition plans and everything like that. In the clinic, when I'd work there after um, or before hours of the high school, people would see me drinking tea. And we had a lot of military um, patients because we're very close to the um, the army post. So I had people from all over the world who would be my patients because they're mostly military. And they'd be like, oh, you drink tea too? I remember drinking tea when I was a kid. They didn't actually ask me if I drank tea. They just assumed because mm-hmm. I'm drinking a Lipton tea bag. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they would tell me their stories about tea, about their experiences with their aunts, with their grandmother, that it made them feel mm-hmm. better or whatever it is. And I was like, huh, how fascinating because yeah. I'm not a tea drinker. I wasn't raised a tea drinker. Mm-hmm. So they would just assume I identified with them. But I just let them, you know, tell me all about themselves. And I realized the more I drank tea or just had a cup of tea walking around drinking it, more mm-hmm. people would tell me about their own personal stories of their background. I'm like, this is mm-hmm. so fascinating. People just open up because I literally am now identified as a tea drinker. And and so I started reflecting on my own life. I'm like, well, how is tea Chinese? I know that sounds like so silly, but I did not grow up as a tea drinker in Alaska. And a lot of Alaskans drink coffee. So mm. I'm like, well, what does it mean to be Chinese? And what does it mean for people to think that tea is Chinese or Asian or Indian, right? Or Russian, mm-hmm. you know, all these Asian countries, Turkey or whatever. I'm like, what does that even mean? And so I started reflecting on my upbringing and my own cultural identity. I'm like, am I really Chinese? Like, what does it mean to be Chinese? Is it okay <laughs> that I didn't grow up as a tea drinker? So I, I started reflecting and going through this essentially a cultural identity crisis with myself because mm-hmm. I think of myself as Alaskan and even people like, cause the way that I dress, they, you know, some people think I'm native Alaskan. Totally fine. We both mm-hmm. got black hair. I'm sure, you know, kind of similar build, but I'm not. So it's <laughs> fine. Um, and it's, it's, and, but that's what, like when you're an Alaskan, you grow up being like Alaskan quote unquote, mm-hmm. you're just whatever, which is totally fine. But Meeting people who identify, like putting people into certain categories, 
it just made me challenge myself and, and who I was. And through that journey of discovering my parents' past, because they had a very, very hard um, upbringing, they... I think my mom only went to third grade. My dad left home when he was 13 years old to be a merchant marine chef, like all over the world. They had wow. like, my mom said she had her first pair of shoes when she was 14 years old because she worked in a factory and she had to have shoes. Wow. And so they never told us about their past because it was so hard. Like my mom, I remember her talking to somebody and saying how she used to steal vegetables from the next door neighbor because they didn't have enough food. And so, and this is in Hong Kong. Like I'm from Hong Kong, which you think of like New York City, Paris, you know, but Mm. way back then in the 50s, the 60s is totally different than what you see it is today. Mm. And so we came to America for opportunity, right? Like most immigrants' families. So I went through this personal journey And tea was this way for me to identify myself because I was becoming more and more of a tea drinker. My dad doesn't really drink tea, but my grandfather did. And so did my grandma. My mom just drinks hot water, but she loves plants and growing plants. And specializing in Chinese vegetables is what she um, sold at the farmer's market when I was a kid as a side hustle. Both of my parents are retired chefs. Mm. And, um, And so I was like, well, what does tea mean to us? And so because I was becoming more and more involved with like the education of tea and understanding tea and the culinary um, side of tea also and tasting in the history, I was like, wow, this is so fascinating. I wish they taught this in high school because I was so bored out of my mind in history. But if they taught like a tea class, it'd be very interesting. So then I move forward and I go and I teach English in Hong Kong after I work at that physical therapy clinic. So now I'm trying to like understand, like immerse myself in Chinese people, which I didn't have that upbringing and just like being observant of their culture, what they eat, what they drink. And tea is just kind of like one of those things, but it isn't really talked about like, Mm -hmm. because everyone wants to be more Westernized. But with that, that's where I found out where my father was from. He was from a tea grown region originally in China. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't talk about that because they had to flee during the Japanese invasion. So I was like, whoa, there's like these deep stories like tied with tea, only because I'm kind of investigating into what tea really is. And I realized that was the same thing that people like my patients were giving to me. There's stories about who they were, who they are, how they became who they are, the people who influenced their lives. And I was like, wow, if tea is so transformative in connecting us in like in this deeper relationship, then I've got to do something about this. Fast forward, then I'm a high school teacher. The school asks me to design a whole semester curriculum on tea education. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll figure this out. And then I had my students build a website all on tea education so it would show what they had learned. And and then after that, then I started my tea company as like a side hustle. But it Hmm. was not supposed to be a product-based company. It was purely off of like, I teach people about tea. And then soon people wanted the products. And then fast forward to now, I've won all these awards. I've written a book. I have a tea farm, the first ever tea farm in Alaska, and the only geothermal power tea farm in the world. And all that stuff is more recent versus the very beginning where I didn't even know what I was doing. And 
And also, I didn't tell you, my father left, um, lost his business because of a bad partner, I guess you could say corrupt partnership, where his business partner embezzled all the tax money. So my father lost his dream business. And so when I started my company, my parents were not happy at all because they always taught us to never, ever own a business because of what happened to my father. Mm. So I had no support and no guidance when I started my company. Wow. I feel like there's a lot to unpack here. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> Such an interesting story. And um, I love that you just sort of noticed those little like nuances when you were walking around with tea. And it's like also funny people's assumptions. Like, oh, do you drink tea because you're Chinese? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's like the first chapter of my book. It's kind of, kind of Oh, bad. God. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, I love that you kind of made those little like, you know, oh, like the light bulb moments that go off in our head that lead to like eventually starting a business, which we, you know, m- many of us have had when we started our own businesses. But yeah, I love that you kind of noticed like when you were walking around with tea, people would tell stories. And I think that's that's such a cool thing. And I guess I'm not surprised that you kind of noticed that and then it led to the actual company. When you first decided to, you know, you you said your students, I think, did the website for you. Like, when did it, when did, was it like an actual business? Like, when did you actually start selling tea or were you selling tea back then? Or like, what were you doing? Because I know you were doing like education stuff, but when did it become like, oh, wow, I'm actually selling tea? So our private high school actually owned a company, owned a business, Mm -hmm. and it helped fund parts of the school's expenses. So they owned a printing company, and they would print classified ads and, and different things like that. And I thought it'd be really fun to go on spring break with my tea students and actually see a real tea house or tea room. First of all, I didn't really know what one looked like. I'd never been to one before. So I was like, oh, let's do this thing. So I got the parents' approval, but we had a fundraise for it. So taking the businesses, the school's business license, we went and bought tea, and then we packaged them into gift baskets, and we did holiday Christmas bazaars. Um, One of the parents was like, oh, we should do gift baskets. I'm really good at that. I'm like, great, because I don't know how to make a single gift basket. Like, I am not color coordinating or anything like that. And so we did all these different Christmas bazaars and fundraised a bunch of money. So that was my first taste of selling tea, like buying tea and selling tea was for the school. But I mean, I didn't really think I was going to continue doing that. So when I started teaching the tea class, I was like, well, why don't I just buy a business license? Everyone keeps telling me since the physical therapy clinic, I should start a tea business. I don't even know what that means, but let me make sure I'm the first to do that. And we were talking about this earlier about SEO and how important it is to like start that right away. And so I was like, well, then at least I can claim I was the first tea business, even if it fizzles out, you know, like who cares if it doesn't actually last? Mm-hmm. I don't even know if it's going to go anywhere. So I just went to um, an accounting class with our the parent of the of the school and she handled all the books. So we both went together to an accounting class mm-hmm. um, taught by a CPA. 
And the lady was like, okay, this is my very last class. I'm going to give you all the behind secrets and no fluff and everything of what you need to start a business and all the forms of types of businesses, S corporation, LLC, how to choose in everything like that. Ask me anything. I don't care. It's my last day. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And she's like, you can do it. Most of the time people spend hundreds of dollars having somebody else do this for you. Well, it's actually really easy and will only take 10 minutes of your time. So I took all the notes down. I was like, oh, well, she said I could do it. And then I did it in 10 minutes on the computer at home. I just mm-hmm. followed her instructions, got it, you know, my tax ID number, my state business license, everything. And I was like, okay, let's see if it goes anywhere. Cause she, she defined the difference of a hobby and a business, but all businesses start from like the hobby phase. It has to do with documentation. So I was like, okay, well, let's just start documenting this. And I won't have to pay any taxes if I don't make any money because it's a hobby, right? The IRS doesn't want to go after people who don't have a serious business. So I'm like, well, what's it going to hurt? So I just kind of started off with what's it going to hurt? And I started teaching tea classes in people's homes. I taught a tea class for the university here for their culinary um, departments. And more and more people wanted me to teach tea classes. And when I would go to people's homes, kind of like Mary Kay or Pampered Chef, like those direct sales things, Mm -hmm. but I did not want to sell products and nor did I want to have like other people I had to be in charge of and all that stuff. So I started off with like, I'm only going to people's houses to teach them about tea. And then people like, so where do I get this tea? And I'm like, oh man, Mm -hmm. I have to make a catalog and sell this stuff. Okay, well, so then I just kind of built like a one sheet thing, you know, of, and just packaged the tea and sold it directly. And, uh, but they got to a point where I could only hold so much like China and glass teapots and everything to people's houses in my truck. I'm like, man, something's going to break. Like I need help. I need people helping me to haul this stuff. It'd be nice if I had a one location that people could come to me. So I didn't have to keep hauling this stuff. So I tried out a seasonal um, you probably went there or heard of it, Pioneer Park in Fairbanks. Oh, yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. So yeah. I, my very first shop was in Pioneer Park. Oh, and so okay. my friend was a baker. And so I sold his cheesecakes, his scones, his cookies. And then we just made hot tea with it and then had some merchandise on the shelves and tried it out for the summer. I hired two of my high school students and um, and we made net profit of $90 that summer. When everybody at the park was like, don't worry, it's your first year. You won't make any money. You lose money, but just come back and try again. Because, you know, <laughs> it takes time. And I'm like, how in the world does this year after year this much work to just lose money? Yeah. So I'm like, I'm trying it for one year. So I tried it for one year and I was like, wow, I guess that's good. Since everyone says you don't make money your first year, I made 90 bucks. <laughs> so um, I just thought it was kind of funny. And then I realized the majority of the people who came to my shop, I couldn't reel in the tourists. Like it's kind of this touristy park. Yeah. But only local people would come into my shop. And then I realized I must have a foundation for this business to be actually like a brick and mortar location because the only customers I can really get to buy from me are locals. And they're asking me like, well, where are you going to be this winter? obviously not in the shop. There's no heat in here. Like the whole park shuts down in the winter time. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, hmm, I don't know. So I thought about it. And then I opened up a, a tea house, but I didn't know if I had enough pull for my merchandise 
like for tea, loose leaf tea, teapots and things like that. But mm-hmm. food always attracts people. And my parents, I grew up in the restaurant industry, right? Which didn't make them happy either that I was serving food. Um, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm not a restaurant mom and dad. I'm a tea house. It's just like a couple steam buns and some cakes and, you know. <laughs> so just kind of try to ease my Asian parents into like accepting that I wasn't going to listen to them. Um, so, yeah, I then I started a store and it kind of grew from there. Interesting. Um, yeah, I like how you just, oh, I just launched a store and it started from that. I love it. You make it sound so easy. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> no, I know. When, where did you, because I, I don't know if I missed this part. Where did you get your first tea? So you said you started selling it at like you when people you go to people's houses and they ask for the tea and then you're like crap I have to get tea, and then I think you said you started selling it. Where did you get the tea from? Were you making so it or no? I just went online. I was just reselling other people's tea, okay, like just buying gotcha. wholesale and packaging it. Gotcha. And and that's the same thing with like the fundraiser for the school was we had a business license, so I just like looked online like where do you buy tea? I mean this was in two thousand seven. You know, like the internet was out and about, but um, but still not that many places were selling tea online, you know. So now there's like hundreds of thousands of tea companies online. Yeah. But so I just bought some tea and I was like, okay, let's try it. I mean, because I had to buy tea anyways for the students because I didn't really drink loose leaf tea. I was just drinking whatever was like at the coffee shops or the grocery store. Mm -hmm. So I myself was learning about the tea industry as I was going about. But by the time I started my tea company, I already had visited tea farms in China. And I flew to the province where my father was born Mm -hmm. um, by myself without my parents. And I had um, a a translator, because I'm I'm Cantonese, so I speak a different dialect than mainland China. Mm-hmm. And he took me around to all these different tea farms. Um, and he was just a business consultant, like bridging people with Chinese cultural exchanges in some ways. So he didn't know anything about tea either. He was like, well, I'm just going to try to find you the best places that I can figure out. And so it was just like a learning journey of learning how to like buy and sell like internationally or negotiations and things like that. Um, but yeah, I didn't know most people didn't go to a tea farm right away when they started their tea businesses. Um, I just thought that was what you're supposed to do. I love it. Um, okay. So you opened up the store, you started selling tea when, like when, when did you do the e-commerce side of things? Like when did you build your own? I mean, I know you had the website, but when did you start, selling online and like what were you doing to drive traffic because I know that's the number one probably number one of two questions I get asked 700 times per day how do I drive traffic how do I get people to find me so what did you do like what were some of the early things that you did to kind of get people to discover you so remember this is before like Facebook has blown up and Facebook ads or anything like this there's no Instagram right Mm -hmm. there's Twitter but almost nobody used Twitter I use Twitter Um, and, but I didn't use it for my business. So I started my tea company in 2007 when I was teaching the class, Mm -hmm. we're building the website. I know nothing about SEO, like nothing until like years later, maybe 10 years later, I hear this word SEO. I don't know what that means. And then I'm teaching the tea classes. And when I'm teaching the tea classes, 
people are inviting their friends and family and some of them are outside visitors. And they're like, how do I get this tea again? And I'm like, oh, well, I have my website. I guess I build the coding for a PayPal buy button. So that's what I'm doing. I'm oh literally like, <laughs> code. And, and I was pretty good like at computers and stuff when I was even in high school. So I'm like, okay, I'm just building this HTML code. Not everyone is like that. I'm just letting you know. Probably most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. So I go and I find the code and I build it in. And so in the end, it checks out on PayPal because that's the only way that I knew how to take money was through mm-hmm. PayPal. And so I just built in all these buttons for the different things that I would be teaching the T class. So then I had this paper one line sheet of what you could buy. And it was the same stuff that I built onto the website. There's no inventory control or anything like that, right? But granted, this is very new and not that many people know about me, but then they can refer their friends and family to it. And with SEO, it just starts getting its own traction because this is in 2007. And I'm not making tons of money online, by the way. It's just bare bone minimum just to have something up there. I'm mostly selling in person and Mm -hmm. at pop-up events. So by the time 2020 rolls around and everyone's going online, I've got, you know, my stuff that's been on the web forever by then. Okay. And so people, so, okay. So you indirectly leveraged SEO, of course, um, which is amazing. (laughs) SEO is like, one of my favorite things to talk about because I think if you're trying to build a business beyond social media and all that, like getting the search engine to push stuff out to people when they're searching for it is ridiculously important. So I love that you kind of um, had that going for you. When so now you're sort of talking about 2020. Like what was the in between 2007 and then like 2020 ish COVID years? Um, how was your business growing? Like. Because I know it takes a lot to go from $10,000 to $100,000 to $500,000 to millions in revenue. Like what what was the catalyst that kind of took you to that seven-figure mark? Um, yeah. As much as Yeah. So that is like a very long journey because I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't have help from my parents. Yes. So restaurant, you, it's even smaller margins. Mm-hmm. And so- I'm just doing pop-up events. I'm selling at the farmer's market my food. I'm referring people back. I, t- I teach tea classes still at the university, at high schools, um, in people's homes. I'm doing all that at the same time, building my brick-and-mortar location because I'm also in Fairbanks, Alaska, which is a tiny population. I mean, not 5,000 people, but still. But I'm in a basement location. Like I'm not easy to find because I don't have that much money to start my business. So mm-hmm. I was a substitute So I quit being a high school teacher and I was a substitute teacher. So that way I could run my business. And if I had my staff there, then I'd go and substitute teach for my normal income. But I'd put all my income right back into my business because I didn't have a bank loan. I didn't have like any sort of financing. I was literally going paycheck to paycheck, just Mm -hmm. putting everything back into the company, growing it that way. And referrals of people finding me. Um, out about me ordering online. And since Fairbanks is such a touristy place, when people say, where can I get your stuff? You just hand them a business card. There's my website. You can order online, right? Mm -hmm. So we're just building it organically, really. I don't have like even an email newsletter maybe until like five years 
into the business where I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to have a constant contact. I guess I'll be good to tell people when the next tea classes. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, though, my venue, my my tea house is really big. Like we're getting like concerts in there, like people are performing. And so people wow. say, oh, I found this space. It's this tea house. It'd be perfect. Have some tea, watch this musician play. And so people knew of my location, even though we're in a basement and kind of hidden as like a venue, you can have private parties there and things like that. It had enough space for that. Mm-hmm. And so then moving into right before COVID, I'm still, you know, have these buttons. I think I switched now to like vend e-commerce, which is no longer doing commerce anymore because I realized I needed to have inventory control. So when something sold out, I wouldn't be in trouble and have to refund them anymore. And I'm just like manually guesstimating what shipping costs are. So I, I don't have free shipping at all. Like if you want to mm-hmm. buy it from me, you're paying for shipping. <laughs> um so I don't know about those skills or anything like that. But at the same time, because we won so many awards for our teas mm-hmm. at the North American Tea Championships, at the Global Tea Championships, we won first place at the World Tea Expo for the Top Tea Infusionist competition. People are like, who the heck is sipping streams? So it's driving traffic back mm-hmm. to our website. And then I was featured in Fresh Cup magazine also. And then the story about our thousand mile tea, which is the official tea of the Yukon Quest dog sled race, which was a donation, a one-time race donation that just blew up, was featured on NPR. So we're getting like more and more traction to this tiny little website that's mostly tea education. And we're really just building it organically because um, mm. I don't really know about all that stuff other than I'm like, okay, if this works, great. We'll just keep doing this thing that works. I know nothing about paid ads, so I don't even know how to do it. So we'll just keep doing what we're doing. And then people started coming to us asking for wholesale. And that happened maybe two or three years, like when I started winning awards and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. wholesale was great because that distribution got us out to a lot of places and then cut, you know, because 2007 cut like 10 years into it then i get a huge distributor and my stuff sold at walmart target fred myers like all these grocery stores mm-hmm. and um in hotels on cruise ships things like that so it's just spreading more organically um and then always on your packaging you know your website you want to put it on there um and i was like we should have a loyalty program you know where People can get points. And when they come in, I just, people asked for a loyalty program. I didn't know much about that. And I just was like, okay, just give what your, you know, your raving fans want, right? They're the ones who are supporting you. They're always giving you money. So I'm like, okay, they want a loyalty program or a punch card system. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. And then, and then now passed into 2020, our loyalty program um, system changed where we would get their phone numbers, but they'd opt in also with their emails and with their birthday and everything like that. So it's just naturally going into all of these things that nobody necessarily taught me about strategy, about wholesale that I had to be taught about like pricing structure, how to fulfill things, lead times. I, I didn't even know how to like pick up a phone and call people and ask if they wanted to buy wholesale. But mm-hmm. I just, you know, tried it as I went. Um, and, and I did have a business coach who was not only in the product-based um, space, but she's like, you need to literally just start getting wholesale customers because it's going to explode your network 
Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. And then I got the distributor and I was like, holy crap. It's like things like taken off. And now we're working on a lot of refinement. 2023 for us this year is on refinement because it's kind of getting out of control when you get into like the millions and you don't have all your systems in place, especially as a manufacturer. Can you can you talk about the distributor? Because I I feel like you mentioned like, oh, we got a distributor and then we were featured, then we were sold in Target. Fred Meyer and all these other places. And my mind is like, oh my gosh, that's a big thing. And for people listening, they're like, oh my God, well, how do I get my stuff sold? Can you just quickly, um, could you quickly talk about the distributor thing? Like how did that happen? And like, how did you end up getting this distributor? Like, was it, did you have to apply? And you know, like I told you before, wholesale is not my area of expertise. I am like, direct to consumer queen. I can teach you how to sell the shit out of your stuff on a website, but wholesale is not my thing. Um, so I don't talk about wholesale on this podcast ever. So I think this people will be happy to hear a little treat from someone who um, has done so well. But yeah, I'm just curious, like, how did you get a distributor like that? And is it a specific type of distributor that um, is connected to like all these major retailers like Target and Fred Meyer? Yeah. So when I started, so in the very beginning of my business, when I got more and more people coming into my store and they're Mm -hmm. like, do you sell wholesale? I already had like Safeway, the buyer, the regional buyer come into my store and they're like, I've heard so much good stuff about you. We'd be interested. And I was like, I'm not ready. Like, I think I was in like third or fourth year. I'm like, um, I can find all the Safeways. That's crazy though. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Safe, like safe. Is Safeway a Pacific Northwest food store? Because I don't. So I live in Seattle, but I don't. I don't actually think I knew about it until I moved to the West to Seattle, Washington. So I don't know if people know. Yeah, they're more of the West or Northwest, and Albertsons. I think has bought them. Um, Oh, I didn't know that. So Safeway is like a major grocery store. If you're listening and you're like, "What the hell, Safeway?" It's like (laughs) the main grocery store in at least where I live in Washington. As is Fred Meyer. So these are like two of the grocery stores that you go to every friggin' day to buy all of your groceries. So this is like a huge deal. Okay, keep going. I love it. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'm not ready. I'm like, I need to get ready. What does that mean? Okay, pricing. Do I have enough inventory? Like, when are they going to want this? And then Mm -hmm. it was just like, well, just call me. And they were going through restructuring because they're being bought by Albertsons. Or like, I mean, it was several years before that had happened. Mm -hmm. But there was, they were restructuring things themselves. So thank goodness that didn't happen right away because I don't think I could have handled that. And then I was like, wow, all these people are interested in me wholesale. Mm-hmm. And someone said, I should go to Seattle because in Fairbanks and Alaska, I would go to coffee shops all the time trying to get them to carry my teas and they don't want to do it. Granted, it was loose leaf tea. They don't want the fuss of loose leaf tea. And all I sell is loose leaf tea at this point. Mm-hmm. And I sell filters and stuff like that. And they just don't want it. That's fine. So I went to Seattle because Seattle has a larger population. Then you've got Oregon, who is like Portland, they have lots of tea drinkers there. Mm -hmm. So I actually started selling at wholesale shows in Seattle twice Mm -hmm. a year for three years until people in Alaska started wanting my stuff. Like, I think I was ahead of my time in Alaska and Mm -hmm. just wasn't ready yet. So I was like, fine, you don't want to buy my stuff. I'm going to go somewhere where I can just get wholesale. Like, so I mostly sold wholesale outside of the state of Alaska in the beginning, which Mm -hmm. was really funny because I'm like, my own state doesn't 
support me at that time. <laughs> but then when it started transitioning, I didn't, and the Seattle wholesale gift show was dying at the time. I'm like, I'm not spending three grand every time to go to Seattle. I'm going to just stick with the Alaska wholesale show, which there is a wholesale show in Alaska for all the tourist companies. So that's when you're going to have Holland America, Princess, and all those companies. But what's really important to know about those large, like super corporations, you might call it, because they're like several cruise companies all in one, is they don't want to buy from a million small buyers. Mm -hmm. So I had heard from different people at the show, like, you need to work with a distributor. There's three distributors here. And I was like, oh, okay, like, what does that, so I just asked questions, really. And they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, and then this buyer, you want to sell to them, like that one store, that one company. That's why I was asking if you've been to who in Alaska, I see straight point, we sell to who in Alaska, and everyone wants to talk to that buyer, because you're going to have a very large sale. And I was like, okay, but I'm not going to like, try to hound them, right? And I was taught also year after year going to the Alaska Wholesale Show, like people want to know that you're going to be consistently there every year. Otherwise, they don't know if you're going to be there for them in the long run. I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. it's like a relationship. You have to show consistency. And my first year doing the Alaska Wholesale Show, cutting back to like the early years of my business, I made six sales. And I asked my booth neighbors on both sides, I'm like, I only have six sales because I'm used to direct to consumer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and they're like, six sales, that's a lot. And I'm like, oh, you guys kind of sound like Pioneer Park, you know, like, <laughs> like, you know, you're not gonna make that many sales. I'm like, well, then why am I here? So I was hustling, acting like I was giving out samples like I normally do in a direct to consumer thing. Mm-hmm. And people were like, you need to slow down. This isn't a direct to consumer thing. But then I never saw anybody else get on the floor, talk to people, say hi to every single person. So I was just hustling. I I was used to. And so when you have that mentality of direct to consumer, have that type, same type of mindset, like you are here to make your stuff the star against all the uh, other competition, right? Mm -hmm. So if you want to stick out and make sure you're on the floor, not looking at your phone, not looking down, Mm -hmm. it's not boring. Because you never know when you're going to close someone. So the year that I got the distributor, my coach was like, you need to really push on wholesale. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know. And I happened to be across the way from a distributor. My booth was right across from them. And I noticed this year they're focused on Alaskan food products. Mm. Because a lot of these distributors sell like, you know, keychains, postcards, souvenir stuff you'll find in the cruise ships and the hotels. I'm like, I'm not any of those things. I don't fit. So when I saw the distributor have a whole shelf that was focused on Alaskan food products, mm-hmm. I was so scared. I knew I, I had a product that was not sold in the grocery stores. It used to be sold in the grocery stores by my competitor. Their stuff got pulled for some legal reason. And so I was like, hey, it's my chance to sell honey. Did you hear me? I just said honey, not tea. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I can get into the grocery stores by selling this honey because I know there's a hole in the market in the souvenir section for Alaskan honey. So I walked up to them. And first of all, they were drinking my tea samples and everything. They love the tea. And so I pitched them about the honey. Mm -hmm. The next day, the president of the distributor um, company is like, oh, yeah, I I heard like you're interested in selling us your honey. I think there's a great place for it. Nobody else sells honey and all of our, our 
different locations that were all of those places. Target, Fred Myers, Walmart, Safeway, cruise ships, hotels. They were the distributor. They're the largest souvenir distributor mm-hmm. in Alaska. And I was like, okay, so you want the honey? And he's like, yeah, but everyone's talking about your tea. Why don't we get your tea in? And I was like, oh, okay. Like, but I was just so scared. Like my product wouldn't, you know, have demand for it. And so with that distributor company, they had an interior um, product design department. So they actually helped me redesign my packaging and what worked with them, which you're not going to find in a normal distributor company. I'm just letting you know. Mm. They actually designed their own products too that they had made overseas, like jackets and backpacks and stuff. Mm -hmm. So they actually helped me get my stuff into stores to be sold consistently. But it was a partnership and they had to take a percentage. But in the end, they also worked with me with pricing. So I didn't go out of business because I remember the lead buyer, she said, if you don't make a profit, then you will not be able to sell to us next year. You will be out of business. So let's work on your pricing. So she was coaching me so I could sell my stuff to a distributor. Mm, I love that. That's so fun. And then how did your business change after, you know, you worked with a distributor and you were in all these shops? Like, did they, were you sold in all those shops or how did that work? Yeah. So they buy all the product, keep it in their warehouse, and then they distribute it to all those places. So they sell to them. And mm-hmm. so I had a contract where I couldn't compete against them, which mm-hmm. was fine because all I had to do was focus on making all of my stuff that they ordered, you know, thousands of dollars a month, and then just ship it straight to their warehouse. And they did all the legwork. I didn't have to fulfill invoices and chase down money for all of these other people. So it's a relationship of what you want. Mm-hmm. And if it's a healthy relationship and it's a win-win for both sides, then it cuts down on a lot of time. So even though they took 25%, they were stocking the shelves. They were getting it to, you know, the stores. I just had to do one thing, which was fulfill their order, and they took care of the rest. And were they, I know that you said thousands per month, were they ordering like a ton of products or was it like a manageable amount? Oh, it was a ton of product. Like at first I couldn't make it all. And so I just told them, I just communicated with them. Like, I don't even have enough money right now to buy the honey. So the honey is mm-hmm. from my friend's um, beekeeping company and we package all the honey. But I said, I, I can't fulfill the order. I don't have enough money to have this much honey on hand. I've never sold $5,000 worth of honey in one month before. At, mm-hmm. at a distributor price. So you could imagine the volume's even bigger. Yeah. And they're like, oh, that's fine. Can we just write you a check now so you can get the honey? And I was like, wow. What? That's why I'm saying, like, my situation was literally like a blessing, a miracle, because you're not going to hear that normally. Yeah. And so I was like, you're going to what? They're like, do you need 15,000? How much do you need? We'll write you a check right now so you can get the product. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so it was like, they're paying for the product. They're like, yeah. but we can get it right. And, and how long do we need? Like a month? How long do you need? Just tell us the lead time so we can communicate it with our customers because they want this product. Mm. And so when you just have this healthy communication, yeah, 
because I was scared like the whole time, like, oh my gosh, they're going to drop us. We can't fulfill this mm. or whatever. They're like, all you have to do is talk to us. And we understand you're a small business, like really small. There's only five of you in your whole company. Yeah. Um, let's, let's just tell us what's reasonable so we don't overpromise, and, and then we'll get through this. And I was like, wow. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's really, really, that's very ideal, isn't it? Um, I know I have a few, like I, my, so my product-based business was in the pet space and I remember one of my business friends was trying to work out a deal with Costco to sell her handmade freeze, not freeze dried, handmade like dried liver or something. I don't know, some yucky dog treats. And they wanted to buy like, you know, we if you want us if if you want this to work out, like we have to you we have to buy enough that will fit in like the truck or something of a Costco truck. (laughs) And she basically like couldn't she couldn't she didn't have the funds to like fulfill the first order and like the deal never the deal never happened and I know she was really like devastated over that because I think when you think of your brand and the idea of it being sold in like a Costco you know that's very exciting for someone but she was a one-person team she literally made her dog treats in her house and had like a uh, meat drying or I don't even know what it's called like a meat drying drying machine and she would put uh-huh. the little liver or not liver um lamb in the machine and she was like I can't possibly make this for a Costco you know so anyway just your story reminded me of that and she did not have the the success story and um you know I know that she was like really her business like she was she had a business where like every single thing she tried like nothing would ever nothing would work ever um so she ended up closing her business but yeah it's 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 sad when that kind of stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Well, I love your story so much. I feel like I have like a million questions. Um, <laughs> I would love to hear just like what – because honestly, when you're talking, do you want to know what I hear from you is it wasn't just one thing. It wasn't one thing that you did that like led your business to success. You have done – you have an in-person store – you have an you're an educator, you teach people, you sell tea online, like you've done like a million things to kind of grow your brand and you do wholesale. Um, what I hear from a lot of people like in my programs or just people in general is like, you know, I tried something once and it didn't work. So my business is a failure or like, you know, I launched my online store and I made six TikTok videos and my business isn't working. Like people just only try one thing. And then when it doesn't work after like a month, they think like their business is a failure and it's not. It's just like you haven't tried enough things and you haven't been consistent enough. So I feel like when I'm listening to you talk, like the biggest thing that I, that's coming for, like the biggest takeaway for me is like you have tried, like you're a hustler and I love that. But like you've also tried everything. Like you've legit had brick and mortar <laughs> Brick and mortar, educator, online sales, wholesale, manufacturing, like you've literally done everything and it's it's worked for you. And I think that's a really, it's an easy thing to overlook because most people don't try even two of the things, you know, where like they're hustling at a trade show and chatting with people and not like staring at their phone with their head down. Because I know exactly what you're talking about. I've been to a couple of trade shows and that's exactly what people do. They just like look at their phone or even like 
you go to farmer's markets and you walk around the farmer's well, markets and people are just sitting there with their face down. And I'm like, why are you Why are you even at a farmer's market? Like mm-hmm. no one is going to come over and talk to you if your head is down in your phone versus the person who's like, hey, come over here and try my hot sauce. Like I have pickles, like pickle samples. And like those are the people that I always go to because they're friendly. They're, they're yeah. making eye contact with you. Um, and I feel like it's the same thing with a business is like you can't just try one thing. And then if it doesn't work after a month or two, you give up, you know. Um, but yeah, I would love to just hear from you. What do you think if you could give anyone just one piece of advice? I know you've done a lot of things and I love that so much. I think you have such a cool story. Um, what would your advice be to someone who's maybe starting out in their business and they're just like not really sure what to do to get their business to the next level? Like what kind of advice would you give them? Well, first of all, it's like, what does it mean to get to the next level? What does it, that's different for everyone. So me growing up in my Asian family, I was like the black sheep of the family and I was always made fun of and I wasn't perfect enough. And my sister was the superstar, my younger sister. And Mm -hmm. she's perfect at everything, had perfect grades, amazing artists, won every single art competition that she's ever entered. Even in elementary school, her art was in the Smithsonian. And so growing up, I, I know that's like, and for having like this competitive family who's always telling me like how much of a failure I am or this or that. And granted, they, I love my parents. I, no, they like live with me. So like, I love my parents. I will take care of them forever if I have, if I have to. But at the same time, that type of like, so my upbringing was very much a lot of PBS. And I just remember Mr. Rogers always saying, I love you just the way you are. Mm-hmm. And anytime I felt bad, I'd say, Mr. Roger tells me I, he loves me just the way I am. I must be okay. Like I would just hold on to the simple truth. So instead of trying to up level or get to the next level, mm-hmm. I would just try everything. And then I lean into what I get a positive response from. Mm-hmm. Like, because you're missing out when you're looking at all the negative that's around you. Like, oh, that person didn't want my sample. You're not going to smile for the next person who does want your sample. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're. You're closing the door by looking at the loudest negative feedback. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's really hard, especially when I read my Google reviews and I'm like, oh, I got a one star rating. Who screwed it up today? You know, and I'm like, OK, what's the learning from this? OK, that's this is one complaint out of 3000 reviews. OK, mm-hmm. so it's not that bad. And I'm not I made somebody else's day. Like, why am I here? in a service-based industry, service-based as in I serve people with my products, with my education, with my food, Mm -hmm. I'm here to serve. And so if I focus on the good that I'm doing in the world, I'm willing to try anything because I know from the positive feedback, how much I have changed people's lives. So don't focus on the up-leveling. That's what's given me the strength to try everything and anything. Mm -hmm. Because you're closing off, you know, the opportunity of something great. You just don't know yet. You haven't gotten there yet. And I've been in business, remember, 16 years now. I've Mm -hmm. been through almost bankruptcy, been through CPA fraud. I've been through burglary, theft, um, employee embezzlement. And most people don't even know that. Mm. I went through all of that stuff. 
I went through an employee a couple of years ago who tried to sabotage my whole entire company and almost made everyone quit. Oh. And while they were working for another company. And so they would come in and they would like get them to quit. And so I'm like, okay, you know, yeah, granted, I talked to my lawyer and I could have sued him, but I was like, uh, whatever. What's the point? Let's focus on the good. Let's focus on the good qualities of our employees, our team members. Let's mm-hmm. lean into what people want. What are people asking for? Now, granted, a lot of people are going to tell you their opinions, a lot of people. But who's going to give you the most money for their opinion, right? Like if you see somebody coming in day after day and they keep buying from you and they keep buying from you and they're a raving fan and they said, you know, have you tried this before? But their money supports their idea, right? Mm Because they're a raving fan. They have validity because they already buy from you all the time. Why not try it for a little bit? And you can always cancel it. You can always decide that that was a failure. Try a different product, you know? But you got to lean into the good. That's what it is. Lean into the good. And you can up-level in so many different ways. Up-level, side-level, whatever it is going to be. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. Um, And I totally agree with you. I think for so many people, like, they've launched an Etsy store or they launch, you know, their Shopify store and they just don't get sales. They don't get that traction. They don't get any traction. And where I always tell people is, like, yeah, you have to try different things. Like, if you're only posting on social media – What about SEO? What about email marketing? What about customer loyalty programs? Like there's so many things that you can do, but I think people get really stuck on the like, oh, well, it didn't work for me. And Susan's brand is killing it on TikTok. And like, why isn't it working for me? You know, Um, I wanted to ask you one more question, but it slipped my mind when you were talking. What um, like what's the next for your business? Like what do you and I feel like this is like a cheesy question. Like, what do you see for your business in the next few years? Also, are you, and maybe this is a personal question, so if it is, just let me know. <laughs> are you ever <laughs> thinking of, like, selling, exiting the business? So um, my husband came on board with my company a couple years ago. It was a couple of years ago. Man, I'm losing COVID years, you know, get all confused. And um, <laughs> so he quit his very nice, comfy government job for me. But that was the only way we could be together because he worked in another town. And so, um, and I wasn't going to give up my company because I I love the way I positively affect my community, whether Mm -hmm. it's here locally or virtually online. Um, Just hearing the stories and the testimonials and the feedback, it just fuels me. So what we're doing in the next, that's why I said this year is our year of refinement, is like Mm -hmm. refining all of our SOPs for our manufacturing, for our food service, for our everything to make it super efficient and replicable. Mm -hmm. And so the next way that we can see our company jump into like multi-millions is by franchising. That's one of the things we're working on is franchising our business because we created an internal training program for our staff to be um, onboarded very quickly with T-Education. And then now we've changed that and and up-leveled it and monetized it for our T-certification program. That's our education component because we already use it on in-house. And so we can use that for other people in their tea businesses, or if they just love tea and they want to know more about tea and they want to be a certified tea specialist, we created that program out of a need inside of our company. Mm-hmm. So we could answer all the questions because people come to me because I was an educator and I specialize in tea education. Now I have to replicate myself into my staff, into my team. 
So we did that. Then we created an internal metric system to refine bonusing our staff in how efficient they are, whether they're on the floor selling, whether they're making tea cookies, whether they're packing online orders, everything has a metrics. So we're creating an internal Mm -hmm. metric system that we've used for several years already. It took me years to design that, just letting you know, on Mm -hmm. pieces of paper, which drives my husband nuts because he's like an IT efficiency person. So, Mm -hmm. but it was after years of calculating how, like what the average efficiency should be for the standard of staff. And so we have that. So that way, if someone wants to buy a Sipping Streams franchise, they can easily give feedback to their staff on how well they're doing and to coach them and guide them to be more successful. And to, again, replicate our mission of our company, which is to help people grow to know who they are through the medium of tea. So mm-hmm. it always comes back to like my initial experience of drinking tea, holding a cup of Lipton tea, and someone tells me their story, um, that connection that we have. And that's all to advance our, our mission, which is the only way I can get it out there faster because I'm only one person. So our next few years is working on franchising mm-hmm. and getting that going. Our next biggest thing is we're getting a whole system reboot of our manufacturing because we're trying to get on QVC. We've already been like approached by them. So some of our products we're working on that this year. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a whole like logistics of manufacturing in the food industry part. So hopefully that answered the first question. And then the second one is like, Mm -hmm. do I see myself exiting? I do see myself eventually exiting one day. I'm not going to necessarily pass it on to my future children if they don't want it. Mm -hmm. I very much from my own personality is you should do whatever you want to do and whatever you feel called to do. But the franchising part will allow somebody else to be able to take over if I want to exit, right? But I will always have this passion of connecting with people and who Mm -hmm. I am. So I want to prepare myself to one day exit but I don't have to take that option if I don't want to. Right. Amazing. I love it. Um, Well, thank you so much. I love your story. And it was really nice um, just hearing all the really fun things that you've been able to build up and just create this amazing company with with a really strong mission. And I love that too, because I think so many brands like gloss over the mission part where like there should be something more than just the product. So um, tell everyone where they can find you, um, where they can find your tea, of course, and how they can um, follow you or connect with you online. Yeah. So you can go on our website to sippingstreams.com. And through there, there's links to our YouTube channel, which is really easy. It's youtube.com slash at sipping streams. If you want to watch any of our tea education videos that we have like over 300 videos on tea education. I also have a tea podcast called the essence of tea podcast. And it's named after my book, the essence of tea, which you can get on Amazon and Kindle. Um, But yeah, just, you could pretty much find us anywhere with the handle at sipping streams. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. Uh, So nice to have you on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you love this episode, please go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and then take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram stories. Tag me in it at Carrie A. Fitzgerald. My name is in the show notes. Thank you so much and I'll see you guys next week.